everybody, this is the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Professional Window Tinting on Fanimal Radio, and I'm Paul Valley. And joining me in studio today, we have a special guest from 1057 The Fan, Jeremy Kahn of the Scott and Jeremy Show. Jeremy, thanks for joining me today. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. We're excited to do the show today. Um, Orioles right now, they're 4-1, and one, off to a start that nobody anticipated. Um, doing it with a lot of youth, a lot of enthusiasm. I don't know that these guys know that they're playing over their heads right now. No, they're ruining the plan, right? They're supposed to lose. You're supposed to get great draft picks, build up the farm system. But, look, I, I'm not – I think eventually we're going to see the team we, we think we were going to see at the beginning of the year. But, uh, um, but now when you look at it, I'm not upset over – beating the Yankees two out of three and beating Toronto, and then you get your home opener coming up here. It should be fun, but it's kind of surprising to see the way that the kids are playing. But the way they're using the bullpen and how things have gone, I don't know that they can carry that on for a full season. Well, that kind of answers the question I was going to ask you, is if they can keep this momentum going. Uh, you speak of the bullpen. They've given up runs in the opposition's last at bat in every game. They gave up runs in the bottom of the eighth to the Yankees and ninth inning runs in every game of the four-game winning streak, that bullpen's pitching to a 4-9-1 ERA, which is kind of negating what the starters are doing. How do you feel about that? Yeah, we had Brandon Hyde on the airwaves, and he talked about specifically the situation with Michael Givens the other night where he had him throw about 49 pitches, and you're going, that's not what you want. You're trying to let him get the save, but they brought him in in the eighth and then you know, kind of let him go in the ninth, gave up a couple hits. Um, Blyer, the same thing, just kind of leaving him in there after he took one off the shin. Seems like they've been throwing more and more pitches. Um, I, again, that's not a recipe for success, and I think they'll alleviate some of those issues. But in the beginning of the year, I don't think it matters as much. But if they're going to continue using the bullpen the way they have, I don't think that's a recipe for success at all. No, I certainly agree, and it doesn't it doesn't help things when you have a guy who's potentially supposed to be one of your best starters in Dylan Bundy who walks five guys and throws 93 pitches in three innings on Sunday and then taxes that bullpen the day after they go with the opener and they have a, a total bullpen game. Definitely not. They're going to tax those arms, and they're going to be dead before, before too long. Uh, you mentioned Michael Givens uh, going out there and throwing 49 pitches the other day. He threw 16 pitches the day before that. And it kind of brings to question, I'm sure that you talked about this ad nauseum, David Hess. David Hess threw 42 pitches in two innings on opening day, and then he comes out and he has a no-hitter going through six and the third innings, and he gets yanked because of his pitch count. Is that, was that the right call by Hyder? How do you feel about that? Because a lot of people were up in arms about it. I was fine either way, but, um, you know, like you're chasing a no-hitter. It's a really cool thing to have, you know, especially. We actually had the conversation the day before on our airwaves, will the Orioles be no-hit this year? And it's like, man, that's kind of a cruddy thing to bring up, right? Will your team be no-hit? And I said, I don't think there'll be no hit, but, um, you know, then this happens where you're watching David Hess, and for whatever reason, he's killed the Jays. I mean, he absolutely gets out there and just shuts down that lineup. And um, But when you look at his pitch count, and you mentioned it, the fact that he pitched on opening day, and if you go back to last year when they were stretching him out um, and, he, and he starts in his, his first opportunity, what was it, like 50-some pitches, and the next one he's up close to 70. I think it's the right decision because this is the long haul, and you don't want to destroy this guy by having to throw a ton of pitches. Me personally, I don't think he gets through without giving up a hit. The last one was that, that rocket that was hit to Richie Martin, and he caught it. Um, I had no problem with it. I wish they would have gone for the no-hitter and not brought in a Rojo, but uh, you know they got the win even though it was one of the uh, dicier wins they've had of the season. Well, yeah, and you look at this team, and it's a, um, it's a team that's, had their, that's been on the receiving end of a no-hitter more times than I care to remember. And their last no-hitter was in 1991, and that was a 
combined no-hitter. The last time they had an individual go for a no-hitter was in 1969, so it's been 50 years, so I can understand people clamoring for that no-hitter. But I agree with you. I don't think that Hess is, is getting through without giving up a hit, especially after he gives up that rocket to, to start the it's inning. Just, it's such a long game, too, to, to get through that, and you, know, you don't want to tax this young player. Because let's be honest, you think about our starting pitchers. We, we talk about having three guys, even though Cobb was hurt. It was Bundy, Kashner, and, and Cobb. And if Hess can amount to be something, and granted, I'm still a little bit dialed back on it because I, I want to see him pitch more against some of the other teams because he does have a track record of success against the Jays. But pitching in the AL East, I was surprised to see him pop a 95 on the radar gun. So I think there's some good things there. But we were talking about not knowing who our last two starters are going to be, whether or not it's going to be you know Jeffrey Ramirez or if they're going to end up using some of these young guys that we've seen in the farm system and they'll get their call up. Would Means be one of those guys? Would they stretch out Castro? Uh, can Carnes be a guy? I mean, Carnes had the setback, but... You know, there's there's still a lot of unknowns with the starting staff, so keeping Hess healthy, I think, is a huge benefit for this team in the long run. No, I agree, and you know, the the Hess going the uh, six and the third shutout innings, he gets followed by another great performance by Andrew Kashner with six shutout innings yesterday. They got Carnes opening the game again today against the Blue Jays in the series finale. Uh, now, Carnes was brought in to potentially be that fourth starter, mm-hmm. and he, like you said, he had that setback in spring training. Is he somebody? He hasn't pitched in any other games other than that opening game on Saturday. Is he just going to be an opener who only pitches a couple of innings? Are they trying to stretch him out to be a fourth starter in that rotation? And that's that's what I'm not sure of because the way the Orioles are using the opener is totally different than the way that the Rays have. Because so let's go back to what the Rays did this past week because they had their opener guy comes in pitches one inning I think it was Stanek and then they bring in Yarborough and Yarborough pitches, he didn't even get as far, and I guess he's getting stretched out too. He ended up pitching like four innings or three and two-thirds. But the Orioles have done the flip side where they've got Carnes coming in, and he opens a game, and he goes as long as he can, and then they bring in. So it's more like a bullpen game than actually having that so-called opener, if that makes sense, um, because it's totally different than what the Rays were doing. I don't know how they're gonna, their plans are for Carnes if they're going to end up stretching him out and he'll be a five, six-inning guy. He's very capable of that, but... Um, I think ideally that's the way you want to go, and maybe your other start is an actual bullpen game. But, you know, we get a chance to see Cobb on Thursday to see if he's right after the groin issue. So there are still a ton of questions around this starting staff, and I, I'm fine with them not rushing anybody. I want the young guys to sit there and experience AAA, AA, whatever it may be, and then work their way, earn their way on the Major League roster. No, I agree, and I think that the Orioles have a lot of talent um, – well, maybe not a lot of talent, but they have a fair amount of talent that's, that's coming up that's had that's, – Going to possibly get their feet wet later in the year, like Keegan Aiken or D.L. Hall, maybe mm-hmm. even Hunter Harvey later in the year. So there could be answers further down the road. For right now, I think you're right. I don't, I don't think that they're too concerned. I think they're just concerned about fielding a team and getting through these ball games at this point. In your home, sunshine can stream in through windows, bringing a cheerful feel and warmness to any room. Sometimes, though, it brings too much warmth. Even harmful ultraviolet light and solar energy that can raise energy bills drain the color of your fabrics and furnishings, and cast a blinding glare on your television and computer screens. DNL Window Tinting can protect your home from all of this while saving you money on energy bills. Start saving today by calling DNL at 410-941-2942. That's 410-941-2942. Switching gears right now, we're going to talk about the offense a little bit. And you were saying that people were afraid that you know, the Orioles might get no hit. You were talking about that mm-hmm. on the airwaves. And yet you have guys, like, you look at Dwight Smith Jr. He wasn't even on the team this time last month. 
and now he's your starting left fielder. He's hitting 350. Jonathan VR, 333. Trey, Trey Mancini, 450. Those three guys have combined for seven extra base hits, including three home runs and 10 RBIs, really pacing that offense. And the offense is averaging four and a half runs a game through the first five games of the year. Can you expound on that a little bit for us? Yeah, man, it's, it's kind of crazy to see. Like, I expect Mancini and VR to have decent years with the bat, and you don't know what the future holds as far as how much these guys will be a part of your actual team. And, you know, I expect Mancini will be one of those guys. He's the one guy on the team that I look at and say, once they start the rebuild, you know, and, and things start to get good, and then they go out and spend some money in free agency, he could be the one guy that's still here. But he's playing out of position. If he's playing the outfield, he should be at first base, and I'm sure we'll get to that in a sec. Um, but, you know, VR is another guy that, if he plays well, could they move him and get something back for him? And you almost hate feeling that way about these players because you're rooting for him. You're rooting for him to do well so you can get something back in return to, again, build up that farm system. Um, Dwight Smith Jr. was kind of surprising because he's a former first-round pick, and the Jays realize what they have in their outfield. And the Jays just made another trade, moving Pilar, getting back some younger pieces as well because they want to see some of their guys. Um, and, you know, with Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. on their way, that they've got a, a really nice farm system and some superstars that are going to help that team. With the Orioles, there's not a ton in the minors. There, there are a couple guys that I think we like. You know, you like Diaz. Uh, you're, people are interested to see what McKenna can do and a handful of other players as far as positional players. But let's be honest, this this team is they, – they're devoid of a ton of talent. We don't have – if you start looking at the top-tier guys, Diaz is our highest prospect. Right. We'd like to see those guys. But when you talk about the top of the order and what these guys are doing, it's pretty impressive. Smith Jr., getting back to that, you know, being a former first-round pick, the Blue Jays kind of gave up on him. The Orioles were like, well, screw it, we'll take a chance on him. And he looks good so far. Um, maybe there is a ceiling there. And they have him, actually have him under control for a few more years. So – um, but the rest of the lineup leaves a lot to be desired. We're going to see a bunch of players. I mean, I'm, I'm still unsure of how they're going to use Cedric Mullins. Brandon Hyde said that he's not just going to face, uh, you know, right-handers and bat from the left side. Uh, we saw a little bit of that against the Blue Jays where he did hit against some lefties. But, uh, but I think ideally they'd like them to just hit from the left side. And he's, he doesn't seem like your everyday guy, but they've been moving guys in and out. Uh, and I agree with you on Mullins. I think they ultimately they really just want to see him from the left side because he's struggled. He even struggled in the minor leagues batting against left-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting that you bring up Mullins because I – okay, so it was early in the game last night. The Orioles and Blue Jays are tied – it's a scoreless tie. Uh, top of the third inning, they have runners on first and second with nobody out, and Mullins is at the plate. Now, Mullins has at that point is one for ten on the season, not swinging a good bat. And I'm sitting there, and I'm screaming at the TV, bunt. You need the bunt. If he puts a bunt down, you have runners on second and third. Dwight Smith comes up, and he ends up grounding out to shortstop. A run scores. You have a one nothing lead, which would end up probably being a 3-1 lead there in the ninth. Gives you some insurance, a little bit of a cushion that you can feel a little bit more comfortable with. Instead, he's swinging away, and Mullins grounds into a double play. Now, is that on Mullins, or is that on the manager? And if it's on the manager, do we have a right this early in the season to question him, especially since it's so early in the game? It's tough because it feels like a lot of Monday morning quarterback. It's more results-driven because, you know, he gets, you get a ball in the air, move the runner over, score a run. Uh, I think you're pleased with the situation. But the best part about all this is that you really want these guys to learn situationally. And I don't think the bunt's the wrong idea. Um, I'd love to see Mullins, especially from the left side, drag bun a little bit more. Uh, you know, when they were playing the Yankees, or I'm sorry, no, when they were playing the Blue Jays, um, Brandon Drury was almost in the batter's box when Mullins came up the one time. You're, you're waiting for him to get in there, and then he was swinging away, and he ended up popping up on the infield. But um, he's got to learn. He's got to get through that whole process. And it, it, it feels weird not being upset over any outcome because this is my first time really – look, when the Orioles were in the 2000s, they just sucked. There was no, hey, we're rebuilding – 
they'd go out and spend money. They'd say, come see the baby birds, and they were 28 years old and been in your farm system for their entire life. Um, but now they're actually they're letting you know what's happening, although they're not going to come out and say we want to lose games. But it feels weird not having an issue with whatever the outcome of the game is. Like, you know, you're pulling from the win. You go, eh, if they lose, eh, it's, it's not the end of the world because you know what the situation is. But uh, with Mullins, I, I still think um, – you know, he's a guy that's got to learn a lot. Defensively, he's fine. Some people question his arm. But the bat up there, I'd give him every opportunity to prove that he can't hit at this level before you make a decision on him. But situationally, putting him in spots, telling him to swing away if they're going to use the bunt, uh, you could put that on the manager, but I think that's where everything comes from. Well, and with, with Mullins, he's always been a streaky hitter. And at every level in the minors, he's gone on a streak where he's carried a team. Mm-hmm. You know, So I, I understand that like, they want him to – you know, be able to show that he can hit at this level. For me, if for nothing else, having him bunt in that situation gives him an opportunity to contribute to the offense, which is something he hasn't done yet yeah, this year. It gives an opportunity to get some positivity out of the bat, and maybe that gives him confidence moving forward to maybe start swinging that bat at a level that we know he's well, capable And he had a terrible spring, too. So, you know, people were talking about Austin Hayes had this great spring. He gets sent down because they wanted him to play center field a bit more. But that could be something where they envision him as their center fielder of the future. Maybe they look at Mullins as kind of a fourth outfielder. But he's going to get every opportunity to prove what he can or can't do. But I don't disagree with what you're saying. I'm just in this weird place where it doesn't. It feels weird saying it. Just I don't care what happens. I mean, I'm enjoying watching it. If they win, I'm like, all right, they're winning some games. But at the same extent, we know what the plan is. We're three years away right. at a minimum. The Orioles aren't going to come out and tell you because we've had Mike Elias and Brandon Hyde on the show and. They're, well, we're not going to put a, a time frame on it. We're not going to do this. But, I mean, we all know what it is. If you're realistically looking at it, it's going to take a whole lot of time. I feel like I'm singing a George Harrison song now. <laughs> no, it's going to take a whole lot of money. No, you're going to have to keep working hard um, and losing some games and drafting well. The, the, the biggest thing is drafting the right player and not only drafting good players but developing them. Because, let's be honest, this team has not developed players. And Manny Machado comes up, everybody expecting to be a stud. Matt Wieters, I mean, he was an all-star. He had a good career, probably not what we expect him to have. But you need these players to develop and have cheap players within your system and then go spend money uh, and, and allocate that because they're in the AL East, and we can say what we want. It's not excuses. The Red Sox and Yankees are there. They're going to spend over $200 million every single year. They sign a guy to a bad contract. It's like no big deal. We sign a bad guy to a bad contract. We're stuck with him, and he's batting seventh for a long period of time. You know, it, it, we're looking at it now of what's going on, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but I mean, Davis has just looked awful, and you see how it affects his team. We had to let, you know, you let Jones go, you let Machado go, Scope's gone. These are some of, the, some of these guys you would have loved to have kept and tried to build around, but it's not happening now because you paid Davis. Well, right, and you, you mentioned Davis, and you get, you're stuck with that contract, although I don't know how long you're actually stuck with that contract. I don't think that this new regime feels much loyalty to keep him. If you're in a rebuild, you might, if you're getting no production out of him anyway, you might as well pay him to not play for you. Uh, speaking of him, he's over 12 this year with seven strikeouts. Is he done? Is his career over? He just got a ribby. He got an RBI on a walk. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's hard to say that his career's not over. And I, like, I like Chris Davis a lot. Um, there have been some, you know, we had the issue with Jim Palmer last year talking about, hey, I talked to the hitting coach and Davis didn't work out with him. It's like, well, wait a minute, who's lying now? What's going on? And um, now, you know, you start off spring training and everybody's like, well, if I, want, if I got something to prove, I'm going to get there early. And he doesn't show up when the other guys show up. And all of a sudden – hey, he had the flu or he was sick, and now he's going to get in. He'll be in a, the day after everyone else. It, none of it just kind of sits right. And it was actually Valentine's Day, right, the day after, where everybody's going, well, where the hell is Davis? Um, and then he shows up, and he looks 
I mean, he had a couple bombs in spring, but let's be honest, he's powerful. He's going to run into a couple. Right. But he's missing a ton. And, and I felt bad after the first game in New York because I felt like he got pinched, and I felt like that first at bat set up everything the rest of the way. But I'm done. I, I can't make excuses for the guy when he's just out there and he looks lost. And it's not even – he's going to strike out, period. He's going to strike out a couple hundred times a year. But when you watch him look at balls – and there's sometimes I look at it going, yeah, I can see what he saw there. There's other times where they're cutting the plate in half, and he's got the bat on his shoulder. And I think those drive you nuts more than him swinging and missing. Right. And for, with Chris Davis, I've never seen a player fall off so hard so quickly. And it's almost a microcosm for the Orioles team. You know, you're, you're talking about a team that in 2016 won 89 games in the playoffs, and then two years later they're a 47-win team with the same roster. It's hard to explain. You look at last year's roster, and, I mean, there was talent there. There's, there's talent across the board. Even though you look at the starting pitching, say that's not enough to compete for a playoff spot. You go back even a year further, and, you know, people can say what they want about how the team did things. They were a game out it's September 1st. Mm-hmm. And then they had the worst September any team could possibly have. It's like everything fell apart. And I don't think you could honestly look at it and say, that team's not good enough to be there. You know, they should have realized it. But they were there. And that's the hard part is like telling them, we're not going to make a run for it. We're not going to try to go, you know, uh, make a playoff run. And they obviously had that, you know, they had the West Coast swing where they just fell apart and got destroyed in September. But the same thing last year. I just look at all the talent on the team saying, how the hell are they that bad? How do you lose 115 games and then come back with this roster and tell the fans, hey, they're not going to lose 115? And they're not. I mean, it's obvious that they're not going to lose that many games, even if things went awry now. But uh, it's just – baseball is crazy. It just seemed like everybody – and everybody had to go. I'm a, I'm a Buck guy. I love Showalter. I was oh, fine yeah. with them moving on. Definitely fine with them moving on from the front office. The plan they have in place now is great. But uh, the Davis thing is just so strange watching a player – and I think Adam Dunn is comparable when you think about a home run hitter who struck out a lot because he had one of the worst seasons in baseball history, and now he and Davis are linked. I mean, that's arguably the worst season for an everyday player oh, in the history of baseball. Bad. Yeah. Well, it's for the for the Orioles. You know, the, the the expectations are low. The expectations with Davis are low. You know, and with a, with a team that has low expectations, you know, like we said at the beginning of the show, they're 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 playing over their heads, right? But everybody is telling these kids it's – it's a roster with an average mm-hmm. age of 27. Everybody's telling these kids, you're going to lose. They don't expect to lose. These guys were all the best players on all the teams that they played on growing up. These are the – like Buck always used to say, these are the, the best 750 baseball players in the world. So tell these guys not to go out there and compete every day. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they're playing so well right now or – Maybe not playing well, but getting lucky yeah. be- because they don't know that they're supposed to lose because they don't believe it because they've never lost before. I always said that confidence is the greatest uh, asset in sports because, you know, look, we, we're finishing up March Madness and you see a team that has no business being on the court with another team. All of a sudden they start playing well, they're playing with confidence, and then all bets are off. You know, that they're in this game and now they belong on the same floor as you. The same thing, I mean, they're all major leaguers, um, but the Orioles had 11 guys on their opening day roster that had never played on opening day. So there, as you're talking about, there's a lot of young guys that maybe they're, for lack of a better term, too dumb to realize they're supposed to lose or not be good. Um, I do think it plays out in the end. I think this is nice. This is fun to see, uh, especially heading into opening day, that they could go in and be in first place possibly, depending on what happens uh, at, you know, in this last game. But um, you know, it, it, it's exciting for some of the fans, but realistically, I'm dialed back. I've got my reservations about the season. I think when all's said and done, I'm going to be on the right side of it looking at it, but... 
Yeah, keep playing. You can't go out there, and even when a team's tanking, I went over this, look, I'm wearing my Maverick shirt, and I had an argument with Scott about this. Mark Cuban came out and said, we're trying to lose games. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to go tell his players, hey, you need to lose. Maybe you don't put the best product out on the field, but you can't tell those guys you're putting out there to not play hard. They're going to play their butts off. Maybe they're not as talented, but sometimes they win games, and I think that's what's happening now. And, uh, you know, the, the sad part is if you know, Richie Martin starts to hit a little bit, we know he can hit. He hasn't hit at the major league level. Cedric Mullins. Um, I, some of the other guys are going to come back down to earth, but the other guys are going to start hitting a little bit better. Maybe not Davis, but the other guys. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, that's that's the hard part of this is seeing it. And I think fans start to buy in, and then uh, they're, they're so excited to see where this team's going to go. But, uh, look, pump your brakes, enjoy the ride, and we'll see what happens when we get off. Well, yeah, and it's, it's, I've been preaching it all, all, all spring. You've got to trust the process. You know, and I think everybody's waiting for the other shoe to drop right now. We, yeah. we all know it's coming, but we're enjoying the ride right now. And like you said, the ebbs and flows of a season, some guys are hot right now when they come back down. Maybe that's when Mullins gets hot and helps out the team. Well, check out social media. It's funny. So let's think back. So the Hess game, right? They almost blow that game and lose. Mm-hmm. You know, Blyer takes the line drive off the leg, and he eventually gets out of the jam. They gave up a triple, and now we got a guy on third, two outs, and that guy scores at the tie ball game, and you had a no-hitter going. Uh, and we're all sitting at home. And if you check social media, it's easy. Oh, they're going to lose the game. They blew it. Uh, how's Hyde going to explain this tomorrow? Or if we go back to a couple of the Yankee games where they started coming back late, you know, and you're going, all right, here it is again. We're all waiting for it to happen. It just hasn't happened. And um, it's just funny because I do feel like it's Baltimore sports, and maybe this is everywhere, but this is, all, this is the only place I've worked that we do get a lot of negative Nancys where people are just mm-hmm. waiting for the worst to happen. And it's, it's a thought process that you don't want to – you don't want to come to fruition, but that's what happens. Every single time in a game, the Ravens got to go on a big drive at the end of the game. And like, uh, they're going to lose. Or the Orioles need to get an out with a man on you know, third. and uh, you know, Or maybe it's you know, a man on third less than two outs, and they got to get a strikeout or you know, an infield pop-up or something to keep, this, uh, keep hope alive. And you're always feeling like it's not going to happen. We had the situation with what Carnes. Carnes had bases loaded one out, and he gets the grounder back to him. Right. And it gets out of the inning to kind of settle down, and then things go right then. But it's sports, man. It's fun. That's why I said enjoy the ride, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, last year everything bounced the wrong way. For the Orioles. So far this year, things are bouncing the right way for them. You know, and my question then is say things keep bouncing the right way. You know, and somehow, some way, the Orioles find themselves maybe a couple of games out of a, out of a playoff spot near the deadline. Are they buyers or sellers? I think it's the same situation you had with Hess, right? Hess has got a no-hitter. You know what the end game is. You're, you're pulling them. <laughs> so I, I don't think they're buyers. I don't think there's any way they can be buyers uh, because this is, they're in it for the long haul, not just for this season. I could be proven wrong, but maybe uh, maybe Elias feels differently. But in the conversations we had, it's the same thing you're talking about. It's like, trust this process. Mm-hmm. And you're going to continue to see them make moves to better the team for the future than to better the team for right now. That's my opinion. No, and I, I think we share the same opinion there, that even if they are in contention at the deadline, what, what are you really trading for? You're trading for one year of success, and then what happens if the wheels fall off again next year? you got you got to go for the longevity. I think it's realize. like putting a Band-Aid on an open wound, right? Yeah. yeah like, I don't know that you're fixing the problem. Maybe you're stopping that, you know, the blood. But you've got to get better in all facets of the game, and it starts for this team in the minor leagues. It starts building the farm system. That's why, you know, the conversation Scott and I have all the time about 
should you lose or should you not lose? And he's like, well, what's the difference in getting the first overall pick or the second overall pick? Well, to me, it's a huge difference because it's not just the first pick at the start of the draft. You get the first pick in every single round to better your team. Exactly. And let's say there is it. Like, we go back to Houston, the year that they drafted Carlos Correa. He wasn't the number one guy. He wasn't the guy everybody was saying that you should draft. There was like four or five other guys in that group, like Bradley Zimmer, who the Royals drafted. And I'm, I'm not remembering everybody's names, but we actually just went over this. And there were a few other guys that everybody said, you got to take this guy. And then Houston said, no, we're taking Correa. And they took Correa, and it turned out, look, guy's an all-star. He's one of the best shortstops in, in the game. Um, and, it, you know, they go on to win a championship with that group that they have. But it's about drafting right. And if you have the first pick, you get to choose which guy you want. And the Orioles have that situation this year, whether or not they want to draft a catcher or, you know, or take a shortstop or right. maybe something else if someone else pops by the end of the season. But uh, it's a difficult decision, and I'm glad they're making it. I think we finally have the right guys in the front office to do it. But, again, I'm in for the long haul. I, I, people were calling in saying, blow the whole thing up. Well, if we're blowing it up, and that's what we started to do, and now we're in this situation, all of a sudden they start winning a few games – and even if it's more than that, where where as you said, the All Star break, you're a couple games out. I'm in it for this long ride. Like I'm not I'm not playing for one season. I want them to be competitive every single year in September, whether we make the playoffs or not. Losing baseball sucks, and we're going to yeah. have it for the next few years, in my opinion. But you know, I I want to see competitive games. I want to feel comfortable going in, not just making the playoffs, but actually having a shot to make a run and win the whole thing. Well, and you know, this year has been a lot of fun already. More fun than I think anybody had last year watching this ball club after opening day. And I think that, that we as fans and as analysts of the team, we want to feel that the entire season, not just in little you know, yeah. ways. You know what I mean? So, and speaking of fun, the, as I told you before the show, I'm heading out to Vegas yeah. this, this weekend, and you fancy yourself a betting man. So Orioles' odds for winning a World Series this year. Some places have them 1,000 to 1. Some places have them 2,000 to 1. I have never seen odds that, that bad. Yeah. Is that worth putting a 20 spot on? Hell when no. You go out there? Hell no. I, you know, we, so the Orioles actually were bet, and I think a lot of it has to do with the odds. Um, this came out from one of, the, one of the online betting sites where they talked about there were more money put on the Orioles than 10 other teams to win the World Series, which would kind of surprise you. Like You start thinking about some of the teams that have – uh, bad rosters, the Marlins, the Reds, the Diamondbacks. Um, you know, we can go through it and list all these teams. But but people see that big number and they want to throw a 20 spot on it and see what happens. Now, they might be feeling good about themselves now, but and that's this is a long season. It's the longest season of any, any sport. Um, and you're talking about 162 games. They can give me the 20 bucks. I'll give them the 1,001 odds <laughs> and I'll go have lunch. But I, I just, I don't think it's a smart bet. Nothing wrong with it. Have some fun. That's what you want to do. But not for me. Well, you know, this season has been fun. You know, hopefully we can continue to have a little bit of fun here, as I've been saying the entire the entire spring training and into the season. You know, trust the process. Let's not focus on results, just fundamentals. They're playing a lot of one-run games, which I think is important for development of a young team. And hopefully the ride continues, at least through opening day. Hopefully we can take it to the Yankees here uh, starting tomorrow. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a lot of fun. I certainly appreciate you uh, being here today. Anytime, man. Yeah, right. thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, folks, that's our last show of the Payoff Pitch podcast before opening day, which is tomorrow at 3.05 p.m. down at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody down there. Until then, thanks for tuning in to the Payoff Pitch presented by DNL Window Tinting on Phantom Radio. I'm Paul Valley.